You're listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by BP Skinner Clothiers. Folks, if you want to make sure that you look your very best, don't settle for the department store down the street where you're getting something off the rack that is lesser quality and you're dealing with salespeople that sometimes, let's face it, can be a little bit pushy. Get a guy whose sole goal is to make sure you look your very best and he goes out of his way to do so. When I say out of his way, I mean he's coming to you no matter where you're listening to us on this podcast. Brent Skinner a BP Skinner Clothiers will come on out. You book an appointment on the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. He'll have a consultation with you. He'll bring the samples of some of the most luxurious fabrics from the finest mills in Europe for you to look through as they begin to design your custom garment. After that, it's a few weeks and you are done. It's mailed to you at your door, and you're ready to go. You, like me and so many others that Brent has worked with, will notice the difference in how you look and how you feel, and the price is right. Again, go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent Skinner. He'll come to you no matter where you are in the country, and you will begin to look your very best. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Happy end of January, J.C. and Morgan podcast. Alongside J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports, Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. Hope everybody is doing well. And uh, 2020 is treating you well as we are in the heart of winter, as J.C., you know, oh, too well. Uh, <laughs> we've uh, got plenty to talk about. You know, last time we were on, we, it, was, it was a lot of reaction to the national championship game. It was kind of our official put the bow on the 2019 season, if you will. And again, as we've said a number of times, the college football has really become a 12-month out of the year sport. There's so many things to cover. We've got another National Signing Day coming up. I realize most of the top recruits already uh, signed, but we do have that uh, coming up. Before you know it, we'll be talking spring ball. You've got a uh, music game of musical chairs brewing with coordinators all over college football, including uh, in the SEC, and some other news and, and notes as well. How has uh, the winter and uh, off-season treated you so far? Well, I'm trying to stay warm, you know. I, I think it was uh... – it's been pretty good. Uh, I think, you know, around this time of year, it's our, there's, there's two things on my sports menu or sports buffet, if you will, basketball and uh, recruiting. Um, lots of interesting recruiting stuff that, you know, by the time that day rolls around again, we'll get into and, and all like that. I just uh, It's just going to be, a, once again, the SEC will probably be where the drama's at. Uh, on the second signing day, and I'll just leave it at that. Um, and, and, and one general note about that in general, I started thinking about it, you know, from, since about 2006 on, I've said there's no, no such thing as a lock in recruiting. There's never 100% because you just never know. I mean, I've seen kids recruit 10 other kids to a school and then end up elsewhere. I mean, it's just you just learn that from following it from so long. And I started thinking, you know, with the transfer portal these days, even after players sign, because there's situations like the Brew McCoy situation where he went from Southern Cal to Texas and then back to USC, um, all kind of in a day or whatever. I mean, you know, you had Chris Steele that went to Florida, committed to Oregon, ended up back at SC. I mean, it, it, especially with California kids, there's been like this carousel with the transfer portal, uh, and it's been almost instantaneous and immediate. And so I've kind of come to the conclusion that even when players sign, you know, these days, there's nothing that's 100%. So if you follow recruiting with a handful of top guys that are out there and you want them to come to your school, realize that there's never anything that's 100%. <laughs> right. uh, that's kind of the takeaway right now as I examine all this stuff. Was the number about the same this year in terms of the, of the top 300, about 80% or so signed in the early period? Yes, and I would say among the top, top guys, that number continues to be um, higher than uh, higher than you know, each and every year. I mean, maybe it was 78 the first year, 80 the next year, 82. Um, now, there are some stories out there, with, like I said, with Zach Evans, uh, the number one back in the country. Some say he's number one player in the country from Houston, North Shore. He's a guy that signed with Georgia, got released from his letter of intent, 
starts visiting a lot of other schools and now probably has a good shot at ending up sticking with Georgia. (laughs) And uh, so that's kind of a crazy thing. And I I think, um, you know, stuff like that. But I I do think that now – and I think we were all caught off guard by it that first year. We were doing this podcast that first year, and we kind of just – you know, we did our show that day, and we were like, "My goodness!" You know, we can kind of hmm. we can kind of paint the whole picture right now. Right. And um, I think that as we've learned from covering it, it's now that the December signing period is the big signing day, and then this is kind of like this January period, which used to be this used to be the only recruiting period. I mean, I used to not get any sleep this month. You know, right. it was constant work because you had basically guys that would make four official visits. They'd all come in January. They decide the first Wednesday in February. And that's how you kind of had your classes. It would all come to a head. Well, it's not that way anymore because you have and it really wasn't that way even like before the early period. But now the, the, you have the finality of signing and a lot of these guys enroll. Um, it's almost like the, the first signing period is the signing day. And then now you have what you call cleanup and wild west stories it's like we're not if if, if we're if we're if, if recruiting is a movie house if you will they're showing nothing but westerns <laughs> during the month of january um because that's basically what it is some of these wild stories that's what people pay attention to but the vast majority of top guys are locked and loaded and you know schools that have staffs in place get a good jump on the next the next class uh you have junior days and stuff like that but it's um it's been very interesting to follow the dynamic of that, you know, since we've, we've started and how quickly everything's just short, sort of shifted to December. Yeah, I don't miss the old period. There, there, there was a time back in uh, even my college radio days where I have to make some of those phone calls in January. How was your visit? Did everything go okay? Is it, you know, did you like your visit? Oh, yes, it was a great visit. Was it better than the other visit? Do you think your other visit will be better than this visit? I, I, <laughs> I'm glad we got a lot of that out of the way uh, with, with the early period. I know coaches don't like it for a lot of different reasons. Um, but I'm not a coach, so I just want to get most of it over with early. And then we have another thing to talk about in the later period as well. There's been um, a number of stories. By the way, I'll just say this. Since we were on last time, about a week and a half or so ago, <laughs> you know, my basketball duties take me to a couple of SEC towns every week. I'm in Starkville last week and guess who's there at the half it is the pirate himself mike leach so got a chance to sit down and interview mike leach Ooh. and the last time i interviewed mike leach yeah I've, I've never interviewed him in person so i had him on my show years ago when he wrote the book about pirates right yes. and it was just Swing kind of a sword yeah 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 and it was you know it was it was a light-hearted interview and he was at texas tech at the time and uh, we didn't talk a whole lot of Red Raiders football, but you know his background, of course, is fascinating. And the first time he'd ever been in Starkville was was his time as an assistant coach at Kentucky, and the whole air raid and Al Mummy and that whole group. And you know, I, I think sometimes we're there's a whole generation of people that look at Mike Leach as kind of a punchline, not in a negative way, but just like they love him because he's funny and he's different, uh, and he's all those things. Uh, and when you talk to him, when you sit down and talk to him in person, it's he's, he's every bit of that. He's a little bit different. Um, you don't know where he's going with any of the answers to the questions you ask. He's obviously funny and entertaining. Uh, but you really, when you take a deep dive into that man's background, he's truly one of the most innovative people in the history of offensive football in, in, in the sport. And uh, I, I think sometimes that's that's lost. Now, how he'll do in Starkville, I have no idea. I have no idea. We've gone over that a million times. Um, whether you're Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, whether you're Mike Leach at uh, Mississippi State, I think more often than not, and when I say more often than not, I mean nine times out of ten, you're hoping to have the fourth most talented team in your own division because you're trying to out-recruit Auburn, Alabama, LSU, and I would even say maybe fifth because Texas A&M is not going to be hurting in recruiting. Mm -hmm. Even if they don't turn that thing around, you know they're bringing in talent. So basically you're probably nine times out of ten, you're going to be in the 10 percentile, uh, excuse me, 
Uh, I can't do that quick of math. Yeah. Whatever two out of whatever two out of seven is. Yeah, the percentile there is tough. That's whatever the percentile of that is. I believe it's less than thirty percent. That's what you're going to be in your own division. The teams you have to play each and every year. Uh, but there's no question. I mean, just walking around, and I was in I was in that town for a few days because I had a couple of games there. They are stoked. I mean, they're at, as as much as Starkville can be stoked. They're it. I mean, they are. They're absolutely. It's different than any personality that they've really ever had there. I mean, I'm trying to think of a coach in any sport that can match Mike Leach in the history of Bulldog athletics in Stark Vegas, and you're going to be hard pressed to find it. So, uh, just a quick aside on that. Uh, it, it it already got me in a bit of a, a football mood. But think of what's happened since we were on. The last time, JC. I mean, first of all, Felipe Franks goes to Arkansas. I don't think we had that story the last time. I think that no. broke. Yeah, afterward. Yeah, a couple days afterward. Um, I will just say this: I I wish Felipe Franks well. Uh, I I don't. I was never impressed with his play. You heard me say a number of times on this podcast over a period of two years that I didn't think Felipe Franks was a good fit for Florida, and thought that he had a lot of improving to do, and maybe even a little maturing to do. Uh, Arkansas is a change of scenery. I think was best for him. He was not going to beat out Daniel Trask for the job. We all know that. Uh, so you stay in the SEC. But boy, oh boy, whatever whatever deficiencies you thought you had around you, Felipe, in Gainesville, look out, my friend, because you're going to be looking around, and each and every week, you're going to be behind the eight ball from a talent perspective. I mean, it's going to be real, real tough in conference games. Maybe even some of the – I haven't looked at their out-of-conference schedule. I'm guessing it's not too strong. But that's going to be a challenge. But I wish him well. Maybe maybe things will uh, will turn out good for him. Transfer quarterbacks. We talked about it during the playoff. You got to. I mean, it's just, we're just in a day and age now where there's a bunch of transfer quarterbacks that wind up doing great things at their new school. We'll see if Felipe can do some good work. I'm trying to kind of think in, in terms of putting him into the system. Kendall Browse likes to run because um, I, I thought. You know, Sam Pittman said what you want about that hire. I thought he made two strong to quite strong coordinator hires in Kendall Browse and uh, Barry Odom on defense. I mean, Barry Odom is one of the best defensive coordinators in the country before he took the Missouri uh, head coaching job at his alma mater there. And Kendall Browse certainly uh, has done some big things. I don't know for the life of me, I can't wrap my head around how Felipe Franks fits in with what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they run him quite a bit. Maybe it's kind of like they did at Baylor where they line up and they're kind of a power run deal that just goes really fast, um, which is you know kind of what they did at FAU. Excuse me. But he, uh, this guy, I mean, I, it, he struggles with passing games. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that there aren't times where he drops back with his very talented arm and – puts a 75-yarder on the money <laughs> at a critical time. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, wow. And, and it's easy to be impressed by that. He did it against Tennessee uh, with no time on the clock one year uh, during the McIlwain era. Uh, I thought that his performance in the second half at times, um, you know, here's the microcosm of Felipe Franks. He drops back. He just fires a bullet down the field for a touchdown against Miami. Gets them back in it, and then all you got to do is run out the clock, and he throws it right to the linebacker, <laughs> causing many a Steve Spurrier memes on the internet. But I, you know, I, I thought that you know Florida when he went down with that injury, and I, you know, nobody nobody's wishing for anybody to get hurt. But Mike, you watch that game. Yeah, he goes down with the injury. Florida's entire team changed at that moment. They were in trouble against the Wildcats. And this was before Kentucky was playing Lynn Bowden at quarterback. You know, this is before they made the switch to the single wing offense that got them back to eight wins this year. You know, this is when they had the, the kid from Troy uh, played. So I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I find it kind of hard to wrap my head around just exactly how he fits. But he's a guy that started in the double digits SEC football game since he was a freshman. Uh, Arkansas really obviously needed needs an answer or a Band-Aid there. Um, and we'll see what he can do. You know, I, I, I do think the guy 
does get out there and compete. Uh, and I do think that he has some physical tools. Uh, and, and I also think that he's probably an NFL tight end if he wants to change and play that position. <laughs> tight end, huh? If he can, if he can catch, now I don't know if he can catch or not. Yeah, but he's six five two forty five, and he's oh, very he's very athletic and tough. Yeah. He's tough as nails. I mean, he'll run yeah, over no. you. Look, you know? I mean, that's that's the thing. If if when you watch him get off the bus, you're like, man, I could see why this kid was highly touted coming out of high school. Uh, and if you put him in a combine setting, he, he can do some things that would probably the scouts be like. Whoa! Okay, not a lot of whole, not a whole guys his size that can do this, but then it doesn't translate in the games. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, again, sometimes the light bulb comes on at different times for different players. So maybe that'll be the case. There was nothing to indicate to me during his time at Florida that he is all of a sudden going to be. Uh, Forget about elite. I mean, I'm just talking about a guy that you feel you can trust and feel good about in SEC play. I, I don't know if – and he's not going to be surrounded by the talent that he had at Florida. Not even, and they got a good running back, right? But, I mean, other than that, what does Arkansas have? Uh, they have been just beaten to death in recruiting and transfers and everything else. So it's going to be tough. But that was one of the first stories that came by. Uh, I thought this was interesting. You know, Joe Moorhead, who gets fired after two years. And when I was in Starkville, I will tell you this. There is no question that – what happened with all the player? I mean, the the, the the quarterback getting punched before the game. Like it, it, the, the lack of discipline on that team was the number one thing that got him axed so quickly. I mean, look, you you win the Egg Bowl twice in your two years, ordinarily. At bare minimum, that's going to get you a third year at Mississippi State, right? Yeah, yeah, two bowl games, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't. It was not the disaster of Chad Morris at Arkansas. No. It was not the disaster of Willie Taggart at Florida State. Uh, but I think a lot of things combined to just say, you know what, we got a chance to get somebody that's unique. This program needs unique right now. Joe Moorhead does not relate to this uh, group of players. Yeah, the fans, he's just not one of us. It felt it felt like a big ball and not one of us. And then you throw in disciplinary stuff, and you throw in uh, two years ago, just about everybody thought they should have won more games than they did, and boom, he's gone. But uh, he's got a job now. He's going to Oregon. It's, it, it, you know, it is, it's kind of weird, Mike, though, because yeah, so so Mississippi State, what, what is one of us at Mississippi State? You know, and you think back, and, and I – and I'm with you, but I said this during an interview in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I'm on, by the way, Tide 102.9 in Tuscaloosa every Wednesday morning at 7.30 a.m. Central. 102.9. Tide. with JC. So uh, I was talking about this the other day, you know, uh, about how I do think I'm with you. I think Mississippi State fans are some of the most re- realistic, great fans in all of the league. Um, you, you can even look at something as simple as how they've embraced women's basketball. You know, mm-hmm. because they're good at it. How much they show up for baseball. You know, the hump is a really good underrated home court advantage uh, in, in men's basketball. Um, and, you know, they get there, fill up Davis Wade with the cowbells and all that. And so I started thinking about it. I was like, well, you know, I look at it and I'm like, well, what is a Mississippi? What is a fit? What is one of us? And I started looking back because if you kind of drill it down, you know, the last time they had a basketball hire, they hired Ben Howland. Mm-hmm. From way California guy, California dude, you know. Uh, before yeah. that, I think they hired Clemson assistant Richie Ray, and that was like a that was a that was a two and done. That was a kind of, we yeah. need somebody to forget about the probation that yeah. Rick Stansbury has put us on. Uh, he is not going to be around long, but he'll be here to bridge the gap for the next hire. And before that, though, you had like two decades of Richard Williams and Rick Stansbury, right? And you look at baseball, you know. Um, that they after after Polk, I think. Well, Polk left and then came back. Correct, left for Georgia, then, and then came, came back. back. And then you had uh, then Joe Cohen, obviously was a guy that played there for you know when he was at Kentucky and came back. And then 
You know, he hires somebody Cohen. else. Joe Cohen, yeah. John and, Cohen. Uh, yeah. John, John Cohen. I said Joe right. Cohen. John Cohen. I apologize, uh, no athletic problem. director Cohen. Um, now he's the athletic director. Uh, and that's the thing about football. I was like, Dan Mullen was not. He may have endeared himself to those guys, but I mean, Dan right. Mullen's from. He's a northeastern. He's just like Joe Moorhead. He's a northeastern guy, and, and sort exactly. of probably personality wise, who would you rather have a beer with? You'd probably rather have a beer with Joe Moorhead. True. And so I started thinking about that. And what I put my finger on is this, is that it's not so much people think one of us cultural fit. It's not so much that. It's that Mississippi State cannot be undisciplined in any sport. You know, they, when they've been good at sports, if you think about through the years, Jackie Sherrill had a great run in football. Well, then Jackie Sherrill got a little old, and he lost a lot of his assistant coaches that were kind of keeping everything together. And then his last few years were a disaster because that team, those teams he had late had no discipline. Um, you know, you could say the same thing in the, during the, the, the Ray era, of the short Ray era in basketball, and they're just tr- now trying to get it back. Um, I think their baseball program over the years has been tough as nails and disciplined. And, and I think that that was what kind of made that happen um, is that, you know, you hit the nail on the head. You know, the, these guys were, you know, there was just things out of control. And it's probably that, you know, certain coaches are not big disciplinarians. They're not going to, you know, they, they just want to sit around and dial up ball plays and, you know, do all that. And um, I'll tell you this about Mike Leach. He's, he's maybe a little bit unorthodox. But his teams do play with discipline. It's repetition. It's standards. Uh, it's all that. That that's kind of part of what's made him successful. So maybe they do have one of them again. And he has a track record. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Joe Moorhead didn't have a track record. He had a, a, a nice moment in time as an OC at Penn State, but he doesn't have a track record. So if you're not quote unquote one of us, uh, let's be honest. Sometimes that means Southern. You know, I know the Civil War was over a long time ago, but for some people, uh, Northern, Southern, it, it just rubs people a different way, whether somebody has uh, more of a Southern background versus a Northern background. Uh, Dan Mullen, as you mentioned, I mean, not one of us in terms of personality, but the guy just flat out overachieved. And this is where I give Mississippi State fans credit. And see, they didn't look at it as well. He didn't take us to any SEC championship games. They, yeah, they looked at it as you know, here's a guy that uh, took us to where you know we uh, we've never been needed to be. So right, and 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 he did it, and he and he did it with uh, less than exceptional talent more often than not. I mean, I did one of Dak Prescott's first games. Dak Prescott was not a household name at all. I mean, he was a guy who who took a while to win the job in Starkville, and eventually Dan Mullen helped turn him in. He was a great quarterback developer of talent. Uh, and obviously Mike Leach brings that to the table as well. But Joe Moorhead is, is now the uh, new OC at Oregon. That was another thing that happened since we were gone. Todd Graham, now the head coach of Hawaii. I'm happy to see that. I like Todd Graham. I do too. I, uh, I, I, I didn't think he did an awful. I don't. I don't think he did an awful job at Arizona. Arizona State. Her, Herm Edwards has done no better. I no, mean, he hasn't. I mean, he has recruiting classes that are trending about five spots higher in the team rankings. If you look at them, twenty four seven sports, mm-hmm. and so they may be recruiting a little bit better. But Todd Graham recruited pretty well there too. Wins, right. and, wins and losses, it's identical. And, and I'd be, although I'm pulling for Herm and the Sun Devils because I, I'm a kind of a closet Sun Devils fan. Um, don't tell anybody that, but I guess it's going to go out on the podcast now. Uh, I, I don't I don't see him doing any better than Ty Graham. I really don't. I mean, at the end of the day, wins and yeah, losses. Yeah, I, I uh, right, right. I mean, Herm's going to win the press conference every time. He's always good for a sound bite, and he's. Yeah, he's uh, he's really good at that, you know, and and that's a, that's an interesting job. That's an interesting job at Arizona State because it's always been kind of considered a sleeping giant. And uh, I thought Todd Graham got him. Heck, he won a division. So I don't know. I think uh, I think you're going to be. It's going to be interesting to follow that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Todd Graham does uh, in another go around. I think he deserved another shot at coaching so we'll see how he does at hawaii which you know, seems to be a program that I don't know, one out of every five years they just kind of sneak up on everybody and have a great year and 
you don't know what to make of it because it's Hawaii. <laughs> but, but but there they are. Uh, I'm going kind of in in a, in a timeline order here. Ruffin McNeil leaving the Oklahoma staff. Uh, he's got, uh, I think his father is, is, is ill, and so trying to take care of matters uh, there. Of course, Ed Orgeron getting a contract extension at LSU. This has to be under the, uh, well, duh category. I think we all knew LSU was going to pony up and, uh, and make him the highest-paid coach uh, out there. Go Dallas. Um, <laughs> so he'll have plenty of uh, – Plenty of cash uh, when not wrestling alligators, or even if he is wrestling alligators, he could buy the very best shoes and boots to, to do so. Those are good uh, alligator we, shoes. Good alligator. That's a good pair of shoes. Well, we love Coach O. Um, love him. And uh, the Rocky Long situation, the guy leaves San Diego State, supposedly like he might have been kind of having a little bit of burnout, almost like an Urban Meyer type situation. But then he returns to New Mexico as the defensive coordinator. Now, you want to talk about going down a few rungs on the ladder. Head coach of San Diego State, kind of a, a, an underrated Mountain West school, and now you're the D.C. at New Mexico, which is a very, very difficult job to win at. Uh, that one is definitely a surprise. And then the biggest one, and then I'll let you pick these apart, J.C., as you see fit. Uh, as we sit here today at 5:10 Eastern Time, it looks as if Bo Pelini is going to become the LSU defensive coordinator uh, in, in Baton Rouge, and of course, some, you know, we, we didn't even mention Georgia now has a new offensive coordinator. It's a third one in three years, third one in four years, yeah. Um, and you know my take on that. I mean, eventually, it, it, at the end of the day, the buck stops with Kirby Smart. So when that offense, if it continues to sputter at times as it did last year, I think whoever the coordinator is, people are going to start saying, "Hey, Kirby, let's let's go ahead and start looking like the other teams that are winning national championships." where they're a little bit less conservative and a little bit more open. So those are some of the things that have been going down here since we've been away. Yeah, and look, uh, Rocky Long is interesting. He's a New Mexico graduate. So he matriculated in the um, land of enchantment, if you will. 70 years old. Uh, They got a new coach, Danny Gonzalez, who's also got some history there. Um and he was the head coach at New Mexico for 11 years before he went to San Diego State as the D.C. for two and then took that job. And I thought he did a heck of a job at San Diego State. Um, we talk about reclamation projects. Brady Hoke is now the head coach at San Diego State for the second time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I think San Diego State, you know, in talking to some people about why the, you know, the um, – the uh, San Diego State or the San, Texas San Antonio job is good. Um, they said, you know, it's one of three uh, pro markets, and they were actually wrong about this because it's it's four, but they they count the Titans as part of the Memphis market for some reason. So you can throw Memphis in there too. So it's one of four pro markets where there's a FBS level football program and no NFL. Uh, the others, you know, like I mentioned, Texas San Antonio or San Diego State and UCF which those two schools have had very good success over the years. So when people were talking about why the Roadrunner's job was sort of, you know, you hear all these things about these jobs. Well, here's why it's good. You know, and and then there's a a list as to why it's not like no fans, but uh, (laughs) they, um, you know, San Diego state has consistently been good for several years. And uh, you know, this guy won and had a really good run uh, with the Aztecs and, uh, you know, quite frankly, when he was at New Mexico, they didn't do that bad, man. They went to five bowl games in seven years. Uh, he got fired in 08 uh, after a 4-8 and eight season. So he, he's coming back home and trying to help them get that thing going after they went with Bob Davey for so long. Which I didn't <laughs> – that was – you know, I, I don't know what that was all about. But um, that was just kind of like we've given up. You know, that's like, you know, you get back and – 
I don't know. I, I could I could use a good dating analogy for that, but I'm not going to. <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I did think that was interesting. And you know, he they were talking about him going to Syracuse too, and you know, to to be the DC up there, and it just it didn't work out. So, uh, very interesting that he's going back uh, to Albuquerque and. Quite frankly, I wish all those Lobos fans the best. Mike, I know you've done games out in that state, and, you know, I, I think some of those folks at both of those schools need something to cheer about. Uh, yeah, the only thing that would be more difficult than winning uh, in Albuquerque is winning in Las Cruces. <laughs> uh, those are two tough jobs. There's there's no question uh, about that. I think we mentioned uh, Dave Aranda taking the, the Baylor job, uh, but if we didn't, Yes, Dave Aranda took the Baylor job, and um, yeah, not surprising. He's a hot name, hot coordinator, uh, tough shoes to fill with Matt Rule, but but Matt Rule is the reason why uh, that job is is much better than it was a few years ago. Again, I thought that's one of the best coaching jobs we've seen in a couple of decades in terms of a reclamation project. And and yes, I mentioned Georgia real quick, but the guy they hired is Todd Munkin. Any thoughts on Munkin as the hire? Yeah, he's an interesting guy. You know, he was an offensive coordinator at uh, Oklahoma State for a while. Uh, then was the head coach at Southern Miss, and left Southern Miss for a coordinator's job in the NFL. Um, and I, I think Fedora replaced him at that point, or he may have he may have replaced Fedora. I'm not I'm not quite sure how it all went down. No, Ellis Johnson replaced Larry Fedora. I, I don't. Nevertheless, he left to go to the NFL kind of abruptly. You're right. Ellis John- Fedora left for Chapel Hill. And Ellis Johnson Ellis came. Tame in there. Ellis went over, got axed in one year. Yeah. Yeah, and then Munkin came in for him. Right. So it's uh, it's just one of those things. So, so I thought he did a good job at Southern Miss. They were winning. Southern Miss always wins uh, the one year under Ellis Johnson notwithstanding uh, to a certain extent. And then he up and went to the pros, <laughs> and that was that. And uh, you know, kind of has bounced around there. So, so I think if you're Kirby Smart, um, and you really in your heart of hearts want to run a pro style offense, but want to one run run one that's multiple. First and foremost, you should have never gotten rid of Cheney. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's what they did because allegedly he just left. But you know, we all kind of heard they weren't sorry to see him go. They didn't put up a huge fight to keep them. Yeah, and, and kind of you kind of get the feeling if Georgia really wanted them, they've got enough resources they could have kept them. And so if you're if you're going to do this, I mean, and you, you don't bring Mike Bobo back, you know, this type of guy is is a is a nice compromise because he has run some air raid principles and you know done some stuff in the NFL that's that's you know modern and good and but but then he does have that NFL track record. Um, well, is, and, Joe Brady same way at LSU. So I, yeah. I, so, so but, but it's the same question, right, JC? I mean, it, it's Joe Brady was only Joe Brady because Ed Orgeron gave him the keys. Is, is Kirby Smart going to give Coach Munkin the keys and let him run it the way he wants to run it as opposed to running it within the confines of the philosophy of the head coach? I do not know. Yeah, that's the million dollar question to, to me. This determined. Season. Yeah, it's to be determined because I, I think that you know when you look around college football, that that should be happening everywhere, including Georgia. At the same time, I, I realize that you're Georgia, and there's about four or five schools around the country that if they want to line up in the eye and run the ball and be successful doing it, they may not score seventy points a game. But they're going to win a whole lot more than they lose. And George is one of those just because of the way they can recruit at running back. I mean, they're, they're basically running back you. Um, and, and so I, I understand, you know, the, the hesitancy from getting away from that kind of deal. Uh, but I also understand that the college football is uh, rapidly evolving. And, um, you know, Nick Saban said it during the uh, broadcast of the national championship game. He's like, if you just want to run the ball and play conservative and play defense, you're dead. He's like, yeah. you have to evolve these days. And so I think that's what Kirby's trying to do. And, you know, what would get what would kind of make me – what's going to be interesting to me is, okay, so Newman's coming in as the quarterback. That's a different type of quarterback, too, than they've had. Um, how much different is the scheme going to be and how much is it going to look sort of forced or just dabbled um, next year when you have a new quarterback – 
uh, when you'll have new faces at running back, when your running backs are probably going to be the strength of your offense yet again, George Pickens at receiver being the exception, and when you're going to have to rely on your defense and you're going to have to protect your defense at times. Um, you know, and, and all this adds up to what you said a few weeks back, Mike, and you hit the nail on the head. Georgia is going to be one of the most intriguing teams in the country to follow next year. Absolutely, because we got we got a draft coming up that's going to have Jake Fromm in it, and I don't know where exactly Jake Fromm's going to go, uh, but I have a pretty good idea. It's going to be in the first two or three rounds, and and I don't know if they maximized his talent during his time. Now, they won a lot of games. This is not, again, this is not uh, hot seat talk or anything else. Kirby has done a, a tremendous job in Athens. He's won a lot of games. Uh, I know here living in Atlanta, there are a lot of Georgia fans who have gotten a taste of it, and now they kind of feel like, well, if we don't make it to uh, the playoff, then it's a, the, the season's a failure. That's what a lot of Georgia fans like to think where they are right now. I'm not sure if that's the case. But with that being said, they certainly have had enough athletes to look better on offense and to look better in their passing game the last few years. And so with a third coordinator in three years, with Jake Fromm finally gone, with a new quarterback who's more, and I hate to use this word because it's the most overused word to describe a quarterback who can run, dynamic. You have a dynamic quarterback uh, now in Athens. How much different is it going to look? Because when Georgia does lose, more often than not, the offense seems to uh, take a week off and seems to be at times painfully conservative. And that's, again, you can only blame that so many times on your coordinator. You're the head coach. You are in all those meetings. You You are there when the game plan is devised. And much like Nick Saban for many years limited his OCs before he finally uh, brought in Lane Kiffin and said, okay, you've got different ideas. Go ahead and use them. Uh, Nick evolved. And I think a a lot of head coaches are are particularly defensive coordinators who have been set in one way. Uh, They have to evolve. Keep in mind, when you're a defensive coordinator and and you become a head coach, uh, a, a defense... If you want to go ahead and ruin a defense's stats uh, and overall efficiency and yards and everything else, just run a wide-open, pass-happy offense. Because when it works, you score a touchdown in a minute and 45 seconds and your defense is back on the field. When it doesn't work, you have a turnover or maybe even a three and out. The clock stops on incomplete passes and your defense is back on the field. So it, it it's not the best way to assure that your defense is going to look its very best in a stat sheet. Uh, if that's what you're, if that's what you're used to conditioning, like okay, this is this is what a good defense looks like. I'm doing my job. If our defense is top ten in this statistical category and that statistical category, you you kind of have to change the way you look at it now, because you can have a great defense and a dominating defense that isn't necessarily statistically good. And so you're not going to be labeled a defensive genius necessarily, but you're giving some of that up in order for the the betterment of the team because offensively, that Nick Saban quote that you mentioned, J.C., it was so telling that he would go on national television before the national championship game and say that. I mean, he was basically saying everything that I've been teaching my whole life on how to run a program and, and defensive philosophy and offensive it's all changed it's all changed but you know what he evolved and i think there's some guys out there that still need to do that a little bit so yeah it, it's going to be very intriguing to say the least uh oh by the way since the six degrees of southern miss football larry fedura is the new oc at baylor uh (laughs) larry fedura who might be the one coach who can out bench uh ed orgeron i don't know larry fedura is and he he, he's not afraid to get in the weight room and and put some plates up i think i'd take him in like a planking contest or definitely like (laughs) an hour's worth of hot yoga against coach yeah yeah, yeah who, no who, doubt. Who would go out first? Probably, yeah, it'd probably I, be O if Fedora was in there, you know. Yeah, if it was in the sw- if swamp-like conditions, I'm taking O. <laughs> you know, like if it's like if it's like one of those gyms that, you, that there's no AC and you got like an old squeaky ceiling fan that has needed WD-40 on it for 12 years, I'm I'm taking O. If it's in an air-conditioned, you know, Orange Theory type place. 
you know, Fedora walks in there with the headband and spandex. I'm taking Fedora. So this should be a pay-per-view event. Maybe we can make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're right. You know, you you look at Clemson, and I think Clemson's a great example of this. You know, Clemson, uh, I guess back 2010, they went 6-7, and lost the – it was called the Continental Tire Bowl in Charlotte. It's now the Belt Bowl. Lost that game to South Florida. Um, change coordinators brought in Chad Morris. And and so for a few years there, now Clemson won the ACC, they won the Peach Bowl, and they won the Orange Bowl during this time, but they also lost. They couldn't beat Florida State or South Carolina. You know, Clemson was not – Clemson's offense would leave it out to – leave their defense out to dry. Quite frankly, their defense was not that talented – uh, at that point, they had some young guys they had to develop. You know, they needed to outscore people. Uh, Brent Venables got there in 2012, immediately started building it. Um, and, and people ask, you know, why has Clemson gone from, you know, ACC contender, you know, hoping to win the Atlantic um, to winning national championships? And, and part of the big reason is their uh, improvement on defense. And what they did was they proved that, yes, there are some games – where if you play that style of offense and that style of defense, you know, with the blitzing and all that, there are some games where you're going to have to outscore them. There are also some games that are going to be low scoring where you have to rely on your defense. But they have the versatility scheme-wise to go do it. And to me, that's been one of the people ask all the time, well, you know, what's, what's the key? Oh, and they talk about how they recruit well and all this other stuff. And that's true. But they have a plan, you know. Clemson can beat you 55-52 like a Big 12 team, or Clemson can beat you 26 to nothing like it's an old-school SEC slobber fest, slobber-knocking fest, not just slobber fest. That that sounds weird. (laughs) But um, And I think, you know, Alabama looked at it last year when they got pummeled in the championship game, and they're like, my God, you know, these guys sort of have it right. And, And it wasn't that Alabama wasn't, Running a modern offense, you know, I think I think I think 2018, Bama was almost too aggressive down the field, but um, that's just how it is these days. And the coaches that evolve, uh, you mentioned the defensive coaches, the coaches that evolve, the Gary Pattersons of the world, they're going to keep coaching and they're going to keep winning games. The the defensive minded guys that don't are going to get fired, and they're going to go back to being defensive coordinators where they're going to have to learn how to stop all these offenses, and they're going to wish that they'd have made different decisions. Great example, Gary Patterson, and, and I, I saw it firsthand uh, going back to my days doing Big 12 games. He was he was all about the old-school defensive mentality, win games in the 20s. Offensively, uh, it, it was going to be ball control for the most part. And then all of a sudden, he changes coordinators, and, and you know they're throwing it all over the place. And that was the year that they could have easily uh, made it to the playoffs, but they were co-Big 12 champs, no Big 12 title game, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and they got left out of the – uh, the playoff and quite frankly tcu hasn't been the same since but uh i mean you look you follow a coach right there i i i don't think that the problem with will muschamp has been he hasn't been willing to evolve i just think will muschamp has to have a good offensive coordinator and going back to florida and south carolina he hadn't had the best luck in hiring ocs and you know at, at some point you if you if your bread and butter is defense you better hope that you make the uh the right hire uh, offensively because it, it, we're in a day and age again where for example that lsu team there's not a defense in the country uh, the clemson was going to be the ultimate final test right one of the defense in the country in a, in a game of that magnitude that was going to hold them under 30 it just wasn't i mean if you've got a great offense in college football versus a great defense the great offense just has too many advantages you're not winning games like you used to, low scoring, ball control, time, the time of possession, blah, 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 blah. we got a great test in the Super Bowl coming up with the same thing. If San Francisco's defense can't do it, nobody can hold. It's not just Pat Mahomes. You, you take the weapons around him, and then you take one of the best play callers in the history of the NFL. Yeah, I said it. Andy Reid. And, and you just, the best defensive coordinators in the NFL, they can't, they don't know what to do. They might be able to stop it for a half, and then they just get completely eviscerated. That's where we are in college football, where when you're facing the elite offenses, 
it doesn't matter how many first round draft picks you have on the other side of the ball more often than not you're giving up big plays and you're giving up points so yeah. that's that's just where it is and i'm with you there too i think you still have to have defense though because oh sure and this is another i think you still have to have it i mean this is another um Another example uh, for those out there that, that love Big 12 football. I mean, look at Oklahoma. You can't tell me that's not an elite offense. Right. Um, and, you know, they. I think they were better the previous year with Kyler Murray um, and maybe the previous year with Baker Mayfield. But, um, you know, but they don't play defense. So then when they run into one of these SEC teams that's good on defense but not, you know, obviously has had some games where they've given up points, you know, and then that SEC – team has a great offense or a big 10 team or whoever you know they're going to get lit up and so that's uh that's the reality we live in so. yeah i mean if you got an elite defense you might give up 35 if you got oklahoma's yeah. defense it's you name your score yeah yeah it's like okay how many do you want to score against us and that's a big problem for oklahoma it's a big problem for the big 12 who's now 0-4 in the playoff, and all four losses have been Oklahoma. The Pac-12 problems are well-documented. They can't even get into the playoff, and their top players in California are leaving the area of the country. And so we're, we're still living in an SEC, Big Ten, Clemson world. Uh, and I know I, I've got a, a good friend of mine who loves this podcast. And he gets on me. He's like, Mike, stop being so negative. Stop saying that college football is predictable. Stop. <laughs> It's kind of predictable. It uh, doesn't mean I don't love it. Uh, it doesn't mean that I, 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 I tune in every week like we all do. I can't wait for the season to start like we all do. I couldn't wait for that national championship game this year. It was a little disappointing, but still, uh, I love it. But at some point, we might want to get a little bit of diversity in the teams we're talking about every year in postseason in the games that quote-unquote matter. Um, just a thought. I'll tell you what, what games oh, – go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, I no, no. I, I had nothing else to add other than – and I think you were alluding to this. When the playoff expands, that's probably when we'll get our wish. Uh, yes. Just because I don't see any kind of – cracks in the armor in terms of you know the leagues outside of the sec where there's not an lsu that can sit there and make a run or a georgia that's capable or an auburn uh that's mm-hmm. capable of, of battling alabama we're two or three years away from anybody in the acc competing with clemson i still have questions as to whether or not texas or whoever will compete with oklahoma in the big 12 when all said and done the Pac-12 has its issues, and then I think Ohio State's the best team in the Big Ten for the foreseeable future. So, um, yeah. you know, it's just kind of kind of one of those things. I, I noticed you didn't mention a single Pac-12 school in, in that uh, conversation. That's, what, that's why I know it's the Wild West out there, yeah. babe. So, but, yeah, but, yeah and that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem because Washington had their window, and you know now they they no longer have uh, their coach, and and I, I get the feeling that. Washington's going to come back down to earth a little bit and, and everybody's just sitting around there waiting for Southern Cal to emerge and they, they just don't do it. Yeah. Uh, and, and by the way, what, does Tom Herman have a, like a $212 billion buyout in Austin? I mean, I, at some point there's going to be a 30 for 30 on how Texas athletics, you know, Shaka Smart's going to be on the hot seat this year. Texas basketball can't seem to figure it out. Uh, and, and their football hasn't been able to turn. I mean, yeah, they're better than they were under Charlie Strong. That's not saying a whole lot. Uh, at some point, they're going to do a 30 for 30 on how in the world you can have all this money, all this fertile recruiting around, your own television network, this great campus, great fan base, great everything, great, 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 and be mediocre. Uh, that's just, it's still amazing to me. As I can, I can tell you why most schools that can't get over the hump, why they can't. I, you know, if you give me a, we talked about Mississippi State earlier. I mean, uh, eight and four is a good year in Starkville and should be celebrated, right? Uh, certain ACC, you know, if Wake Forest can get to a bowl game, that's a good year. If Illinois can get to a bowl game, that's that's a, a decent year. I can't tell you why Texas is where it is. I, I, I have I have no idea. I, did Tom Herman forget how to coach? I I don't know. Well, Tom Herman always had a problem at Houston. It was a small sample size because he's only there for two years, but he lost some games he shouldn't lose to. Mm-hmm. Lose. He lost to Connecticut on the road. Right. Not, and that was before Edsel came marching back. I think Pasqualoni was the coach there then, 20 to 17. Um, the next year, they had that really good team that 
that beat um, – they were coming off the win against Florida State in the Peach Bowl, and then they came up and uh, they beat Oklahoma at the beginning of the year. They beat a pretty good Louisville team. And then they just went in the tank. Yeah. Uh, I don't even think they won the conference. I think Memphis won the conference that year, and then he left. And right. so there, there was a sample size of – and I've seen some coaches do this uh, from time to time. Skip Holtz, to a certain extent, throughout his career – um, at Louisiana Tech and East Carolina specifically has done this. He'll j- jump up and beat a team he shouldn't, and then you'll kind of be looking at the scores and say, well, you know, that Louisiana Tech team beat this team, or East Carolina would beat North Carolina, and that's a big win for them. And then you'd go and you'd see that they'd be – the next week they'd be in a dogfight with, like, a team that's 2-5. and five. Um, and, I, and I think over the years, Skip's kind of – that's kind of straightened itself out for him. Um but with Tom Herman, I, I hate to say it, they they've have they get a, his teams typically get up for big games. Um, even though they lost to Oklahoma and LSU this year, they were up for those games. They played well. I think looking back, they played pretty doggone good against LSU, all things considered. I don't think we realized how good LSU was when at, at the time. But then you'll look around, and, and the next thing you know, they're in a dogfight with Kansas, or they go and lose to Oklahoma State. Or they go and lose this that they shouldn't and that that they shouldn't. And it's just it's just bad. And, um, you know, when he figures that out, because it, it's definitely a trend over the five years he's been a head coach, um, you know, I think Texas will be fine. But, you know, there, there's something happening there, uh, you know, with regards to that. Now, overall, Texas athletics, <laughs> I think it's a it's I think they're still battling some entitlement issues out there. Uh, and, and I think that that's people talk about the culture. I think that has to that has to kind of weed itself out over time. And I, I don't I don't know system, you know, within that system, what the deal is. It's bizarre because there's not a person on this planet that thought that Tom Herman or Shaka Smart was nothing short of an excellent hire and the right hire. Right. I mean, we can all second guess it now. Shaka was red hot, took VCU to a final four. Everybody loved them some Shaka. Yeah. Tom Tom Herman, you know, you mentioned the, the shortcomings, but overall wins at Houston that we didn't see Houston get in a long, long time. So they all seemed it, – it made sense at the time. And great personality too, Tom Herman. Yeah. Motivator, smart right. guy, you know. Same with Shaka. I mean, Shaka I, Shaka's a really likable guy. Um but he might not be in Austin much longer, the way things have been going. All right, one final story on my end, JC, and this kind of ties in with Texas a little bit. If you remember, it wasn't that long ago, the Big 12 nearly was blown up in smithereens. You had Texas threatening to leave, and uh, you know they, they've got their own network. They've got all this and that. And they, they basically, they are the linchpin. They are the bell cow of that conference, right? I mean, without it, if, if they ever lose Texas and Oklahoma, the Big 12 might as well just cease to exist. Uh, and some people think that's eventually going to happen. You're starting to hear more talk about realignment and conference expansion. We've, been, we've had kind of a dead period of that, but I, I think most of us, including me, believe there's still one more wave of that down the road um much lower profile situation but the mountain west just got some good news recently right they got a tv deal with fox that's going to like put a lot more money into every one of those schools pockets and unlike you know the sec who's also about to get a lot more money uh now that the game of the week is going to move from cbs to espn in all likelihood the Mountain West really needs the money. <laughs> I mean, they really, you can only run so many bake sales uh, to, to get what you need to try and compete with the big boys. So it was, it was a good move. Well, Boise State, which almost undebatably has become the signature program of that league, right? I mean, Boise State is a brand. Boise State was that program that nobody knew about, and then all of a sudden they're beating power five schools on a semi-regular basis and you know long before ucf was going undefeated and trying to claim a national title boise state you could argue was better than ucf so boise state gets wind of this and they say wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute you didn't consult us what 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 are we getting out of the deal it sounds to me I'm reading between the lines, perhaps, that they almost want like a Texas kind of deal, which says, hey, we, we want a little bit more money than the other schools get. 
in this TV deal. There was a a released uh, statement from their commissioner, Craig Thompson. This was a few days ago. Basically said, last week, Boise State filed a complaint regarding media rights against the Mountain West Conference. However, that action alone does not formally begin a lawsuit. The university and the Mountain West are currently in discussions in hopes of bringing this matter to a resolution without litigation. There is some talk that Boise could flex its muscle and call the old American conference, which has clearly become, look, it's still the power five, not the power six, but I maintain it's the power five, then the American, then the group of four. Because there's a big difference between the, what the Americans been doing and say the Sun Belt and Conference USA and yes, even the, the Mountain West. Uh, so look for that. Uh, that that doesn't make headlines around the SEC or the Big Ten necessarily, but I think it'd be very interesting if Boise wound up in the American. That can only uh, make that conference that much stronger. And you say, well, what about the geography? Look, we know, especially when it comes to football, nobody cares about geography. <laughs> it's all about TV markets and fan bases and money, and uh, it, it, it doesn't have to make geographic sense. Not much does anymore, uh, but that is a possibility down the road. Yeah, I, you know, American would be very interesting. They have the opening with UConn down. I, you know, I don't – I think Boise State's overplaying its hand. Okay. I, and I look at it, and, and again, because it's, it's a lot like the Pac-12, and, and it would be a lot like Oregon, which has probably been the most successful program in the Pac-12 for the past decade, if you just go by the decade. They're playing for two national championships. It would be like Oregon saying, uh-uh-uh. We're the Texas of this league, blah, 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 blah. Now, granted, the Mountain West does not have a Southern Cal type of program or even a Washington, which was really good for decades before Oregon was good. But I look around that league, Mike, and and there are some good football programs that do have tradition. And then there are other programs in that league that I feel like have a load of potential, like UNLV. (laughs) <laughs> which is going to play in the Death Star out in the desert, you know, mm. starting next year. Um, and so I, I just, yes, Boise State's good, and it's a national brand, and they have that success, and it, it's it's the it's the premier program in that conference, no question. But when you're talking about a, a TV deal, and 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 you know, is the conference going to sink without it? I just, I just don't know. I, you know, I, I and I don't even know that the that Boise needs the Mountain West. Uh, and looking at some of the speculation articles, some say they could join the American, which that league is so spread throughout the country. I mean, uh, heck, what's 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 the what's the problem with loading up the plane and playing a <laughs> Thursday night game in Greenville, North Carolina? <laughs> you know, from Boise, and, and you know, or what's the problem with Memphis going up and having to win a conference championship on the blue turf in December? You know, or I don't know, but um, I, I think I think they'd be a fit in that league. I, I think you know one of the most intriguing things they talked about in the speculation was joining forces with BYU and New Mexico State and forming like a new whack you know the whack's not in the football business anymore we remember we all remember the whack with fondness love um, the whack late night whack late night waction get waxed i mean so uh, you know that could happen i mean you could see them kind of poaching some teams and you know, maybe even some teams from FCS. Maybe Montana wants to make the jump or something like that. But I, you know, I think because of their geographical location outside of Pac-12 membership, which keep in mind, folks, the Pac-12, you know, for all its problems, they still only have 12 teams, so they could go to 14, like the Big Ten and the SEC, if they wanted to, if they found a partner. But um, you know, or the Big Twelve, dare I say, <laughs> could 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 come into play. But I, I just think that uh, you know, I, I think the options are intriguing. But I, I just don't know that this is something that you know is going to kill the Mountain West, and and and, and that that I think is a clear case of 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 the golden goose, you know, flying the coop, so to speak. I because I, I and it's maybe because I, I may have an overinflated sense of the potential of some of the other programs in that league. Um, and I certainly would feel this way if BYU was still in that league. Um, if they were, and I don't know if they were ever in the Mountain West. Yeah, they were. 
Yeah, they were. They were. And they became they uh, an indie, and, and they've got their own network. and own deal, too, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, so that's uh, that's kind of my take on it is that, you know, to me, Boise is not the type of brand BYU is nationally for a number of reasons. Um, and they may be overplaying their hand, but it certainly is intriguing to talk about all this stuff. All this goes to still the uh, our bigger desire and I hope we're getting closer and closer to it, and that is that we have a Group 5 playoff. Uh, they're not going to be at the table. We know that. They're, they're not going to be competing for a national championship, and they're certainly not going to be really competing for a playoff. We've had, we've had, what, six years of the playoff now, and, and even with UCF and with other they haven't sniffed it yet. So, like, why don't, why don't we just go ahead? If TV will pay for what they're paying – uh, on the rights for say a Mountain West conference, then why not go ahead and put together a Group Five playoff? People love football, period, and they will watch and it will sell, and you will get rights fees, and every school in the Group Five will benefit. So hopefully we're getting closer to that, uh, and hopefully that'll happen sooner rather than later. By the way, since we've been on, it is official. Bo Pelini, your new DC. At LSU. LSU, by the way, talk about turnover. I mean, they lost a lot. Your defensive coordinator, your offensive mastermind, your Heisman Trophy winner, all kinds of juniors declaring early on both sides of the football. LSU might very well be at the point where they're finally ready to be on equal footing uh, with Alabama, not just for a one-year period, but say a three-year period, a five-year period. But I don't know if 2020 yeah, is going to be a great year to judge that because – my goodness, they, they've lost a lot. I mean, every title team loses a significant amount, but not necessarily that much. For somewhere, Nick Saban's going, ha, 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 welcome to my world, pal. This is what happens to me every year. People rape and pillage my staff, and then I got a bunch of kids go pro early, and then they just assume I'm going to, what was the term he used? Crap, crap out another. Crap out another player. Crap out another five-star player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Replace uh, So uh, now LSU, but again, those are rich man's problems. Every program out there wishes they had the same thing. Uh, as we as we sign off, JC, any final things you're looking for? Of course, I know you already mentioned that the other national signing day coming up, and you and I will talk about that, uh, the results of it next time out. Anything else that's been on your mind? No, I just yeah, you mentioned the LSU thing. I, I think that what you're going to start seeing is is, and I, and I think LSU takes a slight step back next year. Um, I think that uh, because De'Aaron King. For some reason, went to Miami, which I, you know, Miami fans, I hope he and your new offensive coordinator, Rhett Lashley, are your answer. But you've got one of those defensive guys that I talked about, (laughs) that we were talking about. And, And you lost to FIU, Duke, and Louisiana Tech to end out last year's season, and that's not good. But anyway, Houston, the former Houston quarterback, really good player, De'Aaron King, transferred to Miami. Yeah, had he gone to LSU or had they gotten a grad transfer kind of along that? Like, had they gotten a Jake Bentley, you know, type of guy mm-hmm. to kind of step in there and, and play uh, for next year? You know, maybe I'm maybe I'm a little higher on, on their ability to keep it going, but you know, they're looking at uh, I think Miles Brennan is his name, really good quarterback in and of himself, but they, they just lose so much. I think they're going to take a. They're not going to be as you know. I, I think you're looking at nine and three ish, ten and three ish next year. But this recruiting windfall they're going to get, you know, provided they hire the right coordinators and they, they you know, they keep a good coaching staff in place, they make the right moves. Um, I, I think you're going to see LSU better than they have been, if that makes sense. Just because I think they're about to go load up. They have been loading up on players, and I think they're really about to go, you know, make some make some noise in recruiting over the next couple of years with that national championship in hand. And a, and a good offensive style of play and all that. They got a lot to sell uh, beyond what they normally sell, which is, you know, one of the best home field advantages in college football, best fan bases, best atmosphere. So I'm looking forward to seeing that and how it, how it all kind of plays out. Has anybody come up with a good reason why Auburn is not in the East and Missouri's in the West? Auburn fans will tell you that they want that, but they didn't want that back in the, you know, it, it all just depends on what division's better at the time. But yeah, I, uh, I think when you look at the map, they basically have created like they've tilted the the map <laughs> to the side, diagonally. so you have like a diagonal like north and it's almost like a north and south, but the east is kind of the 
it's it's weird. It, I would have to study on my geometric terms. It, it only makes sense when you the longitude and latitude yeah, really have to be altered just, into a diagonaltude to make uh, make geographic sense of that. And look, I, I get a tradition's tradition. Obviously, Auburn and Alabama are still going to play. Uh, would every would anybody have an issue if they kept Auburn Georgia going? Well, they obviously they'd be going anyway because it'd be in the same division. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't understand. I mean, any time that comes up, it immediately gets shot down um, by the commissioner. But I, at at some point, what that would it would help the league overall, I would think, because it doesn't do the league good to have the West just chock full of great teams and the East not nearly as good, and we just continually have a lopsided. SEC championship game. Yeah. There's some schools, though, that don't want that to happen, and they're probably all in the East. <laughs> um, you know, it's like, cause, you know, because they're sitting there at, at Missouri and South Carolina and Kentucky, and, and, and yeah. they're, they're saying, ah, no, 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 Florida, you know, Florida isn't all the way back yet. You know, they're like, oh, wait a minute. We don't, we don't, you know, but like the Florida's, Florida's issues and Tennessee's issues and Georgia's issues. I don't know that they would care because I think at that point Florida would use that as a bargaining chip to get out of playing LSU every year as its permanent opponent. Right. Oh, we got Auburn now, so maybe we should have Missouri. That that Missouri rivalry that we've developed with them over the years is <laughs> hard to beat. I, 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 did, I did the math on this one day, Mike, though, and Missouri is actually miles-wise closer to Tennessee, Vandy, and Kentucky than they are to like LSU, I believe Auburn and Texas A and M. When you're just talking miles, okay. So I think that they, they kind of figured because you almost have an SEC North with Missouri, Tennessee, Vandy, and Kentucky. Yeah, and yeah. and then you know South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, kind of in the southeast. You could you could split it into four pods. Well, that's not doing that. Go to sixteen. <laughs> I mean, they'll they'll get rid of divisions before they do that, which which has been another thing that's been thrown on the table. They did it in basketball, where they just got could kind of go to a Big Twelve. You can't do round robin because there's too many teams, uh, but you could just take the top two teams, regardless of division, and put them in Atlanta. I don't know if I like that either, uh, but it just seems to me like Auburn would be a really good fit in the East, and Mizzou would be a nice place. Be a nice place for them to be in the old Western Division. All right, final final thing on this: what happens? Okay, let's say you go to Auburn in the East, Alabama in the West, or you go to the top two, just out of the fourteen. You head into the weekend after Thanksgiving, and Auburn's clinched the East, and Alabama's clinched the West, and both are undefeated. So the winner, even if you lose the game after Thanksgiving, it's going to be whoever wins in Atlanta that's going to the playoff, even if you lose that, because you're both up there. Are we going to see Nick Saban or Gus Malzahn rest starters during the Iron Bowl? <laughs> because that game at that point will not – it won't matter. Right, right. Won't matter. No. Won't matter. <laughs> I'm sounding like Nick Saban here. Won't matter. Yeah. Won't matter. Won't matter. Won't matter. Won't matter. <laughs> Won't matter. Won't matter. So. Well, it, it's not happening anytime soon if you read the tea leaves because every time it comes up, it, it's immediately swatted down like a really ornery housefly. Uh, but I, I just just got to thinking because we are starting to hear, starting to creep up. And I know it's the off season; people are looking for things to write about. Um, but you are starting to hear more about conference expansion again. We haven't heard that in quite some time. But you wonder if this, the fault lines are starting to move, and before you know it, that coffee cup starts shaking and rattling on the on the table, and then before you know, the the, the press conference comes out because that's how it happened a couple of times. Not as if people saw it coming; it just happened in the middle of the night, and before you knew it. West Virginia was in the Big 12, and Rutgers was in the Big 10, and Missouri was in the SEC. And Whoa, what just happened? That's sometimes the way it goes down. Uh, this is how this goes down. we got to say goodbye. We actually went over an hour, and there wasn't even a game play. That's the beauty of two uh, very loquacious people doing a college football podcast. <laughs> so, so we'll be back in about another week's time and hopefully have more stuff to talk about, including the second National Signing Day and who knows what other news will uh, be dropped between now and then. JC, stay warm, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. All right. See you later.